There we go. So today we are beginning a new series of Sunday morning talks, and the series is going to be linked to our church text for the year, which uh, will be revealed shortly. And it's also linked to a classic Christian book, which some of you might have read. Um, it's J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness. Um, there's more information about that in the email, uh, the church email uh, a few days ago. Uh, and I encourage you to get hold of the book if you can and to ask God to touch your heart as you read it. You don't have to read the book as part of the series, but as always, it's good, I think, to reinforce what we hear on Sunday during the week. Some of the small groups are going to be looking at this as well uh, so that we keep on being receptive to what God is saying to us. Over the Christmas period, I read a few books, particularly as I've been isolating the last few days, um, and I read two biographies this year two uh, very different people, but both people who rose from humble beginnings. Uh, the first one was Angela Merkel. Uh, she was the daughter of a pastor in East Germany, did you know that? And that was a job which was considered the lowest of the low in the communist society. I mean, literally it was, you had the lowest privileges if you, are, if you were a church pastor. And, but Angela quietly found her way uh, into politics via physics and became, until her retirement recently, arguably the most powerful person in modern Europe. And the other biography I read was of Robert Maxwell. Uh, Maxwell was the son of Czechoslovakian peasants and through his own, I guess you would say his innate talent, but also his force of personality, he came to own a publishing empire and to enjoy an extremely lavish lifestyle. But he was overambitious, he was dishonest, and he ended up probably jumping off his yacht um, about 30 years ago to avoid bankruptcy, disgrace, and imprisonment. Now, our lives are probably less dramatic than those of either Angela Merkel or Robert Maxwell. And, but they follow their own paths or trajectories, don't they? Um, but if we, although I've said they're less dramatic than Merkel and Maxwell, actually, if we're Christians, we are actually on a more dramatic and significant trajectory. We are on a journey from somewhere really bad to somewhere incredibly good. And I want to start at the end, the place where we're aiming at, the place where we're going to, the place where our journey is taking us as disciples of Jesus. What is the destination? that God has planned for us. If I was there in the building, I'd ask you to call out, but it's gonna to get too complicated. But our, what is our destination? What is the ultimate thing that God has for us? And uh, let me tell you, it's even better than forgiveness. Sometimes we think that, that forgiveness is the be all, and the be, be all and end all of being a Christian. And it is a very significant part. We have to experience forgiveness of our sins, but that's not the ultimate thing God has planned and prepared for us. Or you might think, well, the ultimate plan is, is to go to heaven. And, and that's true. That is our ultimate plan. Whether we think we, we go to heaven or whether heaven comes to earth is not really the main thing. Um, but actually, heaven isn't the main thing. The main thing, the main, our ultimate destination as God's children is to be with God. I mean, in a sense, that's what heaven is, of course. But it's to be with God. It's to be in God's presence. And, and, and even more amazing, perhaps, to become like God. Uh, there's a famous uh, um, statement of Christian doctrine, you might know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which, which starts by saying this, 
the chief end of us as humans, our chief end or purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Or Paul writes in Romans chapter eight that we are God's purpose for us is to be conformed to the image of Jesus, to be conformed to the image of Jesus and to be glorified. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Or in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, we are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Or Peter writes in 2 Peter 1, verse 4, that we might participate in the divine nature. Friends, God's vision, God's purpose, God's desire for us is something that is, is actually beyond our comprehension, that we might be like God, that we might be more and more like him, not that we become God, not that in any sense we try and take his place or anything like that, that would be, the, that would be awful, but that we become more and more like him in who we are. And, and actually, the Bible uses words that we perhaps almost shy away from, words like glory, words like holiness. That is our destiny in Christ. This is God's plan for you and me, better than all the idols the world dangles in front of us, better than a yacht, better than power, better than running a marathon, better than sleeping with a supermodel, better than being or looking like a supermodel, because all of those things go wrinkly and they rot and they rust and they die and they generally fail to live up to their promises. But we have, what do we have? We have the hope of glory. So if we're being made more like God, what is it God actually like? Again, we could, we could come up with lots of words or descriptions of God, and the Bible uh, gives us lots of those. And most of them, are because we're humans and we can't actually imagine what God's like, most of the descriptions we have start with something in our everyday lives that we can identify and say, well, God's like that, but he's even more like that. So we say, for example, that God is personal, which doesn't mean that he's a person like us, but it means that he's relational. He's, he's even more of a person than we are people. Uh, we sometimes say God's a king, but we don't mean God's a king like a human king with all their failings and insecurities and, and power crazes and everything like that. God's a king, but, but more like what a human king should be. Um, God is generous, uh, but if you think of any human standard of generosity, God is way more than that. And yet there's one word that we read in the Bible, which is used to describe God, which is God distinct from us. It doesn't say, well, God's a bit like us, but even more so. The word that the, the Bible uses to, to emphasize that God is not like us, he's, 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 he's actually, he's in a different category to us completely. It's the word holy. Holy, in a sense, means not like us. It means different. In the Bible, holy is often used with images of dazzling light or burning fire. Holy means different and awesome and pure and glorious. Although the clearest revelation of God's glory and holiness comes in the person of Jesus Christ, described in the Gospels as the Holy One of God. But here's the thing. God's purpose for you and me is to make us holy. Not to make us respectable or comfortable. Um, great what David was saying earlier. Not to make us timid. Not to make us comfortable. Not to make us think, oh yeah, I can do this. But to make us holy. To make us more like Jesus. More like Jesus as he was when he walked on earth. But also more like Jesus as he is now in glory. Who when John in the book of Revelation sees him, falls at his feet as though dead. And God wants us to make 
want, God wants to make us more like that. His vision, his purpose for us is holiness. So that's where we're going to. That's the destination uh, that God has planned for us as Christians. But, but where are we starting from? Well, well, here's the bad news. We do not begin as holy. We don't start off as holy people, as God-like in, in the way that God wants us to be. In fact, when we first come to Christ, we come as the very opposite of holy. We come as sinners. Now, the word sin, like the word holy, is a, is a misunderstood word. It's a word that sometimes uses a bit of a parody. It's a bit of a laugh, uh, just as, as holiness is sometimes used in a negative way. Um, to suggest somebody something or something that's not very interesting when actually holiness is the opposite of that. So sin is sometimes used to, to indicate something that's a little bit exciting, whereas actually sin is the opposite of excitement. Sin is not fun. Sin is misery. Sin is selfishness. Sin, as Luther uh, and the great theologians of old have said, is a life turned in upon itself. Sin is idolatry and idols always let us down. Sin is our propensity to screw things up and to make ourselves miserable when we realize how badly we've screwed things up. Sin is everything that holiness is not. It's the failure to be the person God created and destined me to be. Uh, some theologians talk about the doctrine of total depravity. And by that, they don't mean that everything we do and are is altogether bad, but that everything we do and are is tainted. It's marred. It's spoiled by sin. Look honestly at your life and acknowledge that every achievement, every relationship, every experience has been infected in some way by your sin, by your propensity to screw things up. Sin alienates us from God and from one another. Sin divides, sin undermines. Sin leaves us feeling guilty and ashamed and dirty and insecure and helpless. Of course, sin also deceives us. It tells us that it's going to make us happy. But one more little sin won't matter. That you shall not surely die, as the serpent said to Eve in Genesis 3. And then we find, having done it, that we have died. That we are not happy. That it did matter. But I think you're here today because, to some degree at least, you've seen through that deception. Now, the first chapter of, of Ryle's book, is entitled sin and, and that's not a happy place to start but it is the honest place to start as he says in his opening paragraph we must dig down very low if we would build up high we must appreciate the vast distance the gulf between on the one hand god's plans and purposes for us glory and holiness and everything good and on the other hand the pit in which we have dug ourselves, sin and destruction. Salvation begins as we perceive that gulf. If we deny it, then we're lost. If we, if we pretend on the one hand that we've got nothing really to look forward to other than this life, then we're lost. If we pretend on the other hand that, that sin doesn't really matter and we're fine as we are, then we're lost. Salvation begins as we appreciate the gulf between who we are and who God created us to be. And can anything bridge that gulf? Is it possible for anything to be done to free us and lead us to glory? Surely that would take a miracle, something too good to be true. And surely we're, we're weary, aren't we, of all the false prophets who tell us that we can do that. We can do this ourselves. 
that we can do anything. The fears that once can't controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's Disney, I'm afraid. That is not the truth. We're not free. We need to be liberated. We can't do it ourselves. Well, that, folks, has been the lead up to our church text for the year. Um, allow me to share that with you if I can uh, to make this work. Uh, hopefully you can see that on your screen. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Is this not good news? It's passing good news. It's wondrous news. There was no way we could bridge this gap ourselves. There was no way for us to get from sin to glory. We could not lift ourselves up by our own shoelaces. Let's just look at this verse briefly. Let me ask you some questions. Again, I won't do this interactively because it's too complicated um, online. But just ask yourself the question, who has done this? Who is the primary doer in this verse? Who is the subject? Who is making this happen? Well, the clue's in the first word. It's God. It's God that does this. And what has God done? He has saved us. And why did God save us? Because we are told in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 9 of his own purpose and grace, because that is the kind of God he is like. That is what that is who he is. Because of his graciousness because that's what he has decided to do for us. And was there anything we contributed to this salvation? Answer, no, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And we need to pause there, because this is such good news. We dare not move on too quickly. We pause to remember also, that this came as a price, and we'll be remembering that, particularly in a moment as we share communion. It's costly, this grace. It's painful. It's cross-shaped. And let me address you, uh, in a sense, individually for a moment. Perhaps this verse describes something that happened to you years ago, but you've forgotten its full significance. You've lost sight of, of all that God has saved you from and all that he has saved you for. You've, you've forgotten one of those two parts of the journey. You've either forgotten where we're going and, and the glory of God's purposes for us, or you've forgotten everything that God's taken us from and the mess that he's pulled you out of because it happened so long ago. In which case, this verse and this series is a call for us to be renewed in wonder and worship to get back to basics and to remind ourselves to be renewed and revived in our faith. But perhaps also you're somebody for whom this verse describes something which has not yet happened to you. You look at the words and you don't see them as a description of you personally. 
you don't have the assurance that you're saved and are on your way to glory and holiness and eternity with God himself. In which case this verse and this series is a call to you to turn to Jesus and ask him to save you, to be your saviour and your Lord, to repent, to turn around, to turn your face to Jesus and to be saved. We put the verse back on the screen as we reflect on that. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. But what have I missed from this verse so far? There's one phrase that I haven't yet really mentioned. I've covered God has saved us, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. But the phrase I've missed is God has saved us and called us to a holy life. God has both saved us and he has called us to a holy life. And this is where people often make a mistake, I think. In fact, there are two, I guess, opposing mistakes that we can make. The first mistake we can make is to think that we need to live a holy life in order that God can save us. So we start with a holy life and think, I, I really must get myself sorted. And then if I can do that enough, if I can tip the scale sufficiently, then perhaps God will save me and my destiny might then be secure. If I could just be a better person, God might like me enough to save me. No, that is not what the Bible says. That is not what this verse says. That is not what the gospel is all about. No, it is by grace we are saved. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. We cannot dig ourselves out. We are in too deep. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. We are saved when we come to Jesus and say, Lord, I can't do this. I've tried and I've failed and I need you to save me. Please save me. That's how we're saved. So, so don't make that first error. Don't make the mistake of thinking, if I could just get my life sorted, if I could just get onto a better track, then, then maybe I could come to God and ask him uh, for some help. Don't start there. Start with God's help and throw yourself on his mercy and grace. But the second mistake that people make is the opposite one. And it's to say something like this. Uh, Jesus has saved me. So now I can do what I like. No, Jesus has saved me and called me to a holy life. Jesus has saved me so that I might live a life that is already reflecting the heavenly glorious life for which I'm destined. When we come to Jesus, we turn our back on sin and we set our face to glory. In this life, we'll never be totally free from sin. It's always going to trip us up and frustrate us, but it's no longer our master because we're in the process of being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We are orientated towards worship. We are with the help of God's spirit of holiness, learning to live holy lives. We are on our way to glory. Friends, Christian discipleship does not consist of a single decision to follow Jesus and then a life of selfish idolatry. 
as if salvation were some kind of magic formula whereby if we say certain words we can force god's hand and then do what we like ourselves that that would be a, a horrible sort of blasphemy really christian discipleship consists of a commitment to follow jesus and then making daily decisions to say yes to what is holy and glorious and to say no to what is sinful and destructive we're often going to fail often we will make bad choices and we'll have to come back each time to the foot of the cross and ask jesus once again to forgive us and to save us which he will always do when we come to him and seek his mercy and forgiveness but if if over time we are not becoming more and more like jesus but just more and more entrenched in our own sinful natures and habits then i have to be honest with you and warn you that you're not going on your way to glory you are instead going steadily towards the other place and for some of us some of us who are seasoned and i might even perhaps say hardened churchgoers perhaps god's going to use this verse and this series to to jolt us off that dreadful course to jolt us off from a life of selfishness and sinfulness and thinking that we can just um, use salvation as a magic formula that is not the way of discipleship that is not the way of holiness that is not the way to glory these are serious matters they're serious because they relate to god's eternal plans for our lives and the greatest tragedy for any of us will be to miss out on what god intends for us but the greatest joy will be to glorify god and enjoy him forever the desire for a life of deeper union with our holy gracious god has been planted deep within each one of us in our hearts but sin works so hard to deny that and to tempt us with things which are worthless by comparison but our task as god's children is to keep reminding ourselves of the truth and to pr keep proclaiming to others the glorious gospel god has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace do you want that to be your defining statement for 2022 are those words which could be written on your tombstone do you want to be the that to be the defining statement for our church for this year if so let's just spend a moment and talk to god about it maybe for some of us that means um, getting right with god maybe for some of us it means i'm sure for most of us it means asking him to to renew our vision to strengthen us to help us to keep our eyes fixed on jesus that this these words may be the defining words of our lives god has saved us and called us to a holy life not because of anything we have done but because of his own purpose and grace let's be quiet for a moment and let's just pray in the silence before i lead us in a prayer
Lord God, we thank you for the wonderful good news that this verse uh, lays before us. We thank you that you have saved us and that you've called us to a holy life now. But that you also have an even greater vision for us for eternity when we will see you face to face and will be lost in wonder, love and praise. We pray for each one of us and we pray for us as a church that our lives here and now may be lived in the light of our eternal destiny, may be a, a, a trajectory that is heading towards glory. Help us, we pray, to be people who show forth your glory and holiness in our lives. And we pray that as we journey together through this series, as we reflect on this verse and on the book that we're going to be looking at, that you will make us more like you. And for those of us this morning for whom you have uh, spoken words of particular challenge, whether that's to turn to you for the first time or to return to you after perhaps years spent wandering in the wilderness, we pray that you will help us this morning to be able to say these words for ourselves. God has saved me and called me to a holy life, not because of anything I have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Thank you that those are words that you want every one of us to be able to say. Help us by your spirit to say them from our hearts, we pray, in our Saviour's name. Amen. I'm going to uh, hand back to, to David now. And uh, well, in fact, we're going to sing a song first. We're going to sing a song, Build My Life, worthy of every song we could ever sing. And please use this as a uh, as you reflect on what we've heard, as you reflect on the verse, use it as a prayer. And um, if you're in the building, you know, stand or sit as you feel able. Um, but let's all of us um, continue to speak to God about what he has said to us this morning. song. 